1: faith, Mike Slater. thanks for being here. We got a tricky one today. <laughs> Are you ready? You're ready for this? real quick. if you're new to the show, uh, the, the purpose uh, the mission statement here is uh, the news makes me anxious, makes everyone I know anxious and that's not a good way to live life. So we uh, take the news of the day, the thing that is making you anxious, and then uh, break it down, lament it, lament the brokenness, and then give some historical perspective and biblical peace, To make all that anxiety go away because I still want to be engaged with what's going on. It's important, but I can't be doing it in a constant state of anxiety all the time. It's not healthy. It's not good. So story of the day, I wanted to talk about the Balenciaga advertisements and the normalization of pedophilia in our culture today, as if that's not big enough of a topic to break down. Then the Senate passed the respect for marriage act and 12 republican senators voted with the democrats for the respect for marriage act so i wasn't sure what to do which to talk about so i started with balenciaga and then i was like oh no we got to do the marriage thing and then and then i realized that they're the same <laughs> but i was like ah that may be confusing so let's split it up But I couldn't, I think the connection is that is actually very important. So I wanna see if we can do this, do both of these things very clearly. Let's start with the Respect for Marriage Act. This bill officially repeals the 1996 Defense of Marriage Act. So 96 was the Defense of Marriage Act, which defined marriage between a man and a woman. This is now the Respect for Marriage Act. So the Defense for Marriage Act, quoting, banned federal recognition of same-sex marriage by limiting the definition of marriage to the union of one man and one woman. Now, 1996, this was not ancient history. (laughs) 1996, Bill Clinton was the president, and it passed 85 to 14. Wasn't even close defining marriage as a man and a woman. 85 to 14. And today, 61 senators voted to repeal that in 26 years. A complete 180 that is how slippery the slope is just so you know the 12 Republican senators who voted yes Roy Blunt Missouri Richard Burr North Carolina Shelly Moore Capito 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 West Virginia Susan Collins in Maine Joni Ernst in Iowa Cynthia Loomis in Wyoming Lisa Murkowski in Alaska Rob Portman in Ohio Mitt Romney in Utah Dan Sullivan in Alaska Tom Tillis in North Carolina and Todd Young in Indiana. There you go. There's your 12. So the big thing this Respect for Marriage Act does, which is a pro-gay marriage act, it doesn't force the states to issue same-sex marriage licenses. What it does is it requires states to recognize a same-sex union if it was valid in the state where the marriage was performed, right? So if you get gay married in Massachusetts, it must be recognized as a legal marriage in Tennessee, for instance, make sense? This change is lightning speed. And I know we're in the middle of it, so it may not seem that fast, but it's crazy fast. In 2008, in California, 52% of Californians voted for Prop 8, which defined marriage as a man and a woman. I'll say it again, 52% of Californians voted to define marriage as a man and a woman. In 2008, Barack Obama's election. That was 14 years ago. And now if you speak against gay marriage, if you say that marriage is between a man and a woman, you're the worst person on the planet. And just 14 years ago, over half of Californians said that. Look how fast this issue has changed. And not just any issue. This isn't just like legalizing marijuana or something. This is a fundamental, essential, cultural issue of incredible importance. And one that has never been questioned before. As well, this is a brand new thing, same-sex marriage. Barack Obama was elected president in 2008 against gay marriage, changed his mind in 2014, evolved on the issue. And here we are, 2022, and, and you're just the bigot of bigots if you think marriage is a man and a woman. Wow, so there's a couple quotes that should concern you and give you anxiety. Chuck Schumer, leader of the Senate for Democrats, he said, with today's bipartisan Senate passage of the Respect for Marriage Act, the United States is on the brink of reaffirming a fundamental truth. Love is love. And Americans should have the right to marry the person they love. Okay, so first thing we have to break down is this expression you've heard before. Love is love. This is a great line that these people have come up with because most people can't refute it because it's so ridiculous. Love is love. No. God is love. 1 John 4, eight. God is love. Just like the LGBTQ train has hijacked the rainbow which in the Bible is a sign that God will never flood the earth again and destroy all life. Now you see a rainbow and everyone thinks gay. So they've hijacked the rainbow and they've hijacked the word love. Love is love. No, God is love. Well, then who is God? What does this God say love is? 1 John 5, 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. Love is obedience to God's commands. No one wants to hear that. (laughs) No one wants to hear that love is obedience. Love should be, I do whatever I want to do, whenever I want to do it. And you can't say anything against me because love. Love is obedience to God's commands. Commands like marriage. All right. So love is love. That's the first thing. And again, it's such a stupid thing to say. It just shocks people dumb and people don't have a response, but it's such a simple response. Love is not love. God is love. And the love of God is that we keep his commandments. All right. So the second line, Americans should have the right to marry the person they love. Now, obviously that's in the context of a gay couple, but why stop there? If logically two men can get married, then why not three people get married? They all love each other. Love is love. Why can't a man marry a child? It's who they love. Love is love. Why can't a father marry a daughter or a brother marry a sister? Love is love. They love who they love. Who are you to say? It's not love. And go ahead. Make the moral argument against pedophilia. I dare you. If you believe that love is love, you can't make it. Can't be made. Schumer said passing this bill is our chance to send a message to Americans everywhere. No matter who you are, who you love, you deserve dignity and equal treatment under the law. Does he really believe that? No matter who you are and who you love, you deserve dignity. Is that true, Chuck, in every circumstance? Third quote of note. This is from the Republican Senator in Wyoming. There's a biblical definition of marriage and there is a secular definition of marriage. She said the biblical definition of marriage is a marriage is a union of a man and a woman. And then goes on and says, yeah, but there's this now secular definition, which is something different and should be recognized by the government. So we have uh, we have two things. We've got a biblical marriage and a secular marriage. This used to be my argument when I was more libertarian. Actually, when this debate was going on, I wasn't a Christian. And I made the libertarian argument that the government should not be in the marriage business at all. Because it's a sacred covenant between two people and God and the state should play no role. Maybe I was a Christian. Maybe I was an early Christian then. I was wrong. I was wrong.
0: What is the No Spin News all about? You know that this is a fact-based analysis news program. You know that. We avoid speculation. We don't do conspiracies here. We don't do party politics here. We're not nonpartisan. That's wrong. Not that. Okay, We are advocates for a stronger America and a more just society. We don't believe in communism. We don't believe in socialism. We don't believe in nihilism. We don't believe in the progressive woke culture. We think it is un-American. We don't support that. So you should know what we are, and it would then crystallize what we do. Listen to the no spin news. Subscribe to Bill O'Reilly's podcast feed wherever podcasts are available. Hey, this is Vivek Ramaswamy. The media has systematically lied to you. The Hunter Biden laptop story, the origin of COVID-19, the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, or how your money's being spent in Ukraine. Enough already with the lies. No more lies, hard truths only. That's what the truth podcast is all about. It's not standard conservative talking points. If you want that, go somewhere else. But if you want the hard truth delivered to you in a way that challenges you and will challenge me intellectually, you're not going to find anything like this on the Internet. Subscribe to The Truth Podcast today on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: The government does play a role in marriage, should play a role. I was wrong because kids are involved. The state has a proper role in the acknowledgement, the acknowledging of the definition of marriage, and protecting the institution of marriage because children are, the, are often the consequence of this union. And the state, that is the people, have an interest in protecting the fundamental building blocks of our nation, which is the nuclear family. There is a state interest in protecting the fundamental building block of our nation, which is the nuclear family. We've been told our whole lives that we are a nation of individuals. And that's not true. We are a nation of families. I heard Milton Friedman say that years ago and it never clicked until this issue. We are not a nation of individuals. We are a nation of families. That is the building block of America. But you can see the fruit of thinking that we're just a nation of individuals. I can do whatever I want. I can do whatever. I'm an individual. Me, me, me. Love is love. My feelings, my emotions, my love. Life is all about me. As opposed to people saying no our culture is built on top of strong nuclear families man woman children it's not about whatever you want it's about whatever's best for a flourishing society and christians lost that argument (laughs) big time that ship has sailed so what's really going on here what's at the root of all this it's the great sin of the It's pride I define marriage. Me, me, me. I am smarter. I know better. I get to figure it out. I define it myself. Not God, but me. And then there's also this deep sentimentality in our culture today, even in the church. Uh, It's all about how I feel. It's feelings. There's no truth. It's all about feelings. There may be some things in the Bible that are uh, kind of, of, they don't make me feel good. So I'm just going to cut those parts out because it's all about me and my feelings. Charles Spurgeon, 1903, he said, Poor soul! Let me remind you that there's nothing that is so deluding as feelings. Christians cannot live by feelings, nor can you. Let me further tell you that these feelings are the work of Satan. They are not right feelings. What right have you to set up your feelings against the word of Christ? Well, God says this, but I feel this. (laughs) And people say this all the time. Well, I feel like, knock it off. Oh no, but I I just feel like, don't care. What is the truth? So it's pride and sentimentality. And the ultimate goal, well, I shouldn't even say ultimate goal. Let me get to the ultimate goal. The next step towards the ultimate goal is pedophilia and the normalization of pedophilia. Let me explain. With every issue, There are leaders and followers. Environmentalism is the perfect example. There are environmentalist followers. Those are people who want clean air and water. Great. But then there are the environmentalists who think that humans are a parasite to the planet and the planet would be better off if all humans died. That's who I'm talking about when we talk about environmentalists, when I'm talking about environmentalists, I'm not talking about your grandma who wants, doesn't want the water polluted, right? I'm talking about the leaders who by definition lead the conversation, they lead the movement. And the followers follow oftentimes not knowing the final destination of the leaders because the leaders don't often articulate it in full. They just want as many people as possible on the bandwagon. They say, hey, jump on the bandwagon. You want clean air and clean water? Jump on. So these well-intended people they are like, I like clean air and they jump on the bandwagon not knowing that this bandwagon, I don't even know what a bandwagon is, is going to a very different place. Than you expect it, <laughs> and pretty soon, hopefully, you look around you're like, "Well, wait a sec, why, are, why are we forcing people to eat bugs all of a sudden? Where, where did this? I just wanted clean air." And it's the same with gay marriage. The followers of the gay marriage movement are like, "Oh, yeah, you know, my uncle's gay, and I'm a nice person, and love is love." But the leaders are on an, an entirely different mission. So you have all these well-intended people who jumped on the, the bandwagon because they like to go to the pride parade and wave their flag. And isn't this fun and love is love, but they don't realize where this bandwagon is going because the goal is to upend every single institution in America. And I'll prove it. There is an activist, very famous one, Audrey Lord, self-described black lesbian mother warrior poet. And she came up with an expression that is still very popular and influential in activist circles, she said the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. The master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. Meaning, if you are oppressed, you cannot succeed using the tools of the oppressors. So, capitalism, to these activists, is oppressive. Especially, they say, to black people. So some people have suggested we have this thing called black capitalism, where black people engage in capitalism together and and get rich in the system. But these activists, they say, no, 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 capitalism is rotten and racist at its core. You can't use it. It is a master's tool, and you can't use the master's tool, capitalism, to dismantle the master's house. So you can't use capitalism. Ibram X. Kendi, uh, who wrote, um, what's his big book? Ibram X, Kendi, anti-racist, of course, goodness. He wrote uh, anti-racist, right? He's like the the head of the whole intellectual Black Lives Matter movement, right? Here's a quote. Racism and capitalism are conjoined twins. One cannot be anti-racist without also being (laughs) anti-capitalist, right? So to be truly liberated, you can't use capitalism to get there. You have to be a communist, which all of these Black Lives Matter groups really are. Are you with me on that? So, so you can't use the master's tools to dismantle the master's house. Same thing with gay marriage. Marriage is a master's tool to oppress. The leaders of the gay marriage movement don't want to get married. That's not the, they want to destroy marriage entirely. They want to make it meaningless. Just like the word love used to mean something very specific. God is love, and. Out of love, you obey God's commands. And it's like a very specific thing. But now love is just love. Love is love. Love is love. What is love? Love. Love, right? It's, It's totally meaningless. The goal here is not to get married. The goal is to destroy the master's house. These people believe that marriage is oppressive. It's oppressive to women. And they also say it's oppressive to children. Because children who grow up in strong nuclear families tend to... Uh, maintain the, the, their, their parents' outdated and racist worldview. And these activists say that, oh, these, the mom and the dad are oppressing their children with their bigoted perspectives of, of life. So we need to liberate women who are oppressed by the man. We need to liberate children who are oppressed by their parents. So marriage is oppressive and needs to be destroyed. The goal is not gay marriage. The goal is no marriage. Well, you marry the state, you marry the government for true happiness. That's the ultimate goal. So geez Slater. <laughs> what do we do? What 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 in the world? Let's lament. Ugh. Most people don't even know what we're up against. Um let me first say this the the worst thing that straight people did for marriage was was not value marriage themselves. Straight people, Christians, treated marriage as just feelings. And then when my emotions weren't being met anymore, we just get a divorce and move on. And gay people were like, well, we want that too. And what, what's, what are Christians to say? Oh, no, sorry, it's sacred. <laughs> They're like, what? 50% of you people divorce. What's so sacred about that? So that's the first thing to lament is that, that so many Christian marriages did not hold up this institution as sacred, which gave an inch, if you will, right? But then the great lament is the next step, and that's the pedophilia. Remember, you can love whoever you want, it's all about your dignity. Love whoever you want. Who are we to say? And today's sexual ethic. Who's anyone to say love is love? And that's where minor attracted persons come from. Have you heard this? Pedophiles are now called minor attracted persons. They say that these are the last group, pedophiles, are the last group that is still universally oppressed. And we need to bring these minor attracted persons out of the shadows and tell them that that your attraction is not immoral. Who are we to say what is wrong or right and you were born this way just like they said about gay people who are not born this way by the way we'll get to that in a minute just to prove it here's a couple academics making this argument here
2: so much for that question um i use the term minor attracted person or map uh in the title and throughout the book for multiple reasons um first of all because I think it's important to use terminology for groups that members of that group want others to use for them. Um, And MAP advocacy groups like before you act um, have advocated for use of the term MAP. Um, They've advocated for it primarily because it's less stigmatizing than other terms like pedophile. Uh, A lot of people, when they hear the term pedophile, they automatically assume that it means a sex offender. Uh, and that isn't true. And it leads to a lot of misconceptions about attractions toward minors. Um, I've definitely heard the idea that you brought up, though, that the use of the term minor attracted person suggests that it's OK to be attracted to children. Uh, but using a term that communicates who someone is attracted to doesn't indicate anything about the morality of that attraction. So much yeah, for that they, question.
1: Say there, they say there is no morality at play. Here's another one
2: folks. My name is Miranda. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm a licensed professional counselor and sex therapist in Erie, Pennsylvania. And today I want to talk about minor attracted persons. And I want to talk about minor attracted persons because they are probably the most vilified population of folks in our culture.
1: That's what I was saying earlier. They're the the last oppressed group and we need to liberate them and add a P to the alphabet train of LGBTQIA plus, et cetera. So in California, uh, 7,000 sex offenders, 7,000 convicted of lewd acts with a child under 14 years of age were released the same year they were convicted. 7,000 served less than one year of prison time. Hmm. The average time served for almost 20,000 People arrested for that crime, the average time served was under two years and eleven months. How can that be? Well, lots of different things happen in California. Uh, Lots of laws, Prop Forty Seven turned a lot of felonies into misdemeanors. Uh, Prop Fifty Seven enabled the release of non early release of nonviolent crimes. AB One Hundred Nine in California, it's called prison realignment, so it shifted. People from state prisons to local jails and then people in local jails just out of the local jails so all these different laws but it's all based on this worldview that you just heard from that this these aren't uh um, they're the real victims <laughs> the, the, the pedophile the minor attracted person there was another law uh ab 3234 it lowered the age threshold for elderly parole from 60 to 50. so violent sex offenders could be eligible for elderly parole after serving only 20 years when they hit the age of 50 because they're they're elderly (laughs) what so it's all this based on this idea that the the pedophiles uh are are just oppressed and they need to be liberated and then one day celebrated but it makes sense because you can't criminalize sexuality love is love remember i should get to the historical point here but let me make this let me put this here quick because I got to pay this off I mentioned a second ago we'll get to the you're not born this way thing this is one of the marketing PR things from the gay movement is that you have to tell people you're born this way Uh, it's not true so the longest and largest study done on this started in 1996 they followed people for years so one group it's called the growing up today study the growing up today study uh, and you can look it up. It's in the 2011 archives of sexual behavior by miles. Ott is the main author OTT. So they looked at different groups of people, but I'll just focus on one children aged nine to 14. Okay. So nine to 14 year olds. And they asked them, what is your sexual orientation? Different percentages said I'm, uh, only same sex attraction, mostly same sex attraction, uh, bisexual, mostly hetero, entirely hetero. Right? And then. They followed those same kids three years later, then two years later, then two years later, then two years later, and asked them the same question so you could see change over time in individual people, which is essential. So check out these numbers here. And I know numbers are hard over the radio podcast here, so I'll do the best I can to be clear. Of all the kids who said they had some same-sex attraction, 310 of them, 50% of those moved over time towards a more heterosexual identity. Of those who had any same-sex attraction, 310 of them, 43% lost all same-sex attraction, became completely heterosexual within just a few years. 43%, so so of the the nine to 14 year old boys who said they had some same-sex attraction, 43% lost all of it in just a few years. Of those who identified themselves as completely homosexual, that was 28 of the boys, 25% of those moved towards a more heterosexual identity, and 11% said they were completely heterosexual just two years later. And it didn't go the other way. The boys who said they were completely heterosexual, only 3% moved towards a more homosexual identity. You're not born this way. Now we can have this conversation about you know the, the, the mix of nature, nurture, blah, 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 all that stuff. And that's another podcast, but do not buy this lie that it is entirely born this way. That is a marketing propaganda piece by the gay movement. And if you wanna know more about that, you can look up the, the uh, magazine article. Well, the book is called After the Ball, but there was a magazine article uh, first, and it details all the, I think there's 11 uh, marketing points, that the game lobby needs to do in order to normalize homosexuality in, uh, it was written in the nineties and they did every single one to a T it's perfect. All right. And one of them was to say, you're, you're born this way. There's nothing we can do about it. It's not true. All right, let's get to the history and, and Bible. One of the most important things to know about the gay rights movement today is, is that it's not an action to them. It's who you are. We used to define ourselves by external things and our actions. So what is my identity? Well, I'm the son of these parents. Uh, I was born here. I do this for a living. I'm this type of person. Like I'm I'm a kind person or whatever, right? So external things and behaviors. That's how we used to define ourselves. Then Rousseau came along mid 1700s, just a monster of a human being. And he made your identity about your feelings. You are who you are on the inside. Then Freud came along and said, your feelings are really about your sexual desires. That's you're defined by your sexual desires. Then the Marxists came around and said, your sexual desires are by nature political. So you see how this went? So, and now here we are today. So it started with your identity was defined by external things in your behavior. Then it was defined by your feelings. Then your feelings were really your, your sexual desires and your sexual desires are political this is how LGBTQ people have been able to frame this as a civil rights issue because my sexual desires define me as a person. And this is why you hear rhetoric like stop denying we exist. You hear this a lot. Like stop denying that trans people exist. You're denying my existence. <laughs> like what? Like we know you exist, but like that's how deeply embedded the identity is where if you're like, Oh, I don't think transgender drag queens should be reading in front of children. Oh, you're denying my existence. <laughs> what? So it's never, that's never been done before. But something similar has happened before. In ancient Rome, and Christians had to deal with this, there was a Roman sexual ethic. And it said that, this ancient Rome, and it said that sex was all about dominance. And this tied into... Uh, beauty and love and all these bigger cultural themes as well. But dominance was the main one, and it was socially acceptable for the strong Roman male to take whatever he wanted and to have intercourse with whatever he wanted, whether it be uh, uh, another woman or another male or a boy. And the the uh, receptive role of male intercourse was seen as the dominated and effeminate woman role. That was the one who was disgraced right the dominant male was still masculine because he was the one doing the dominating and that was true for children as well these were these were people who accepted pedophilia as our nation will soon as well and the christians were not just against this but were seen as as attacking roman cultural values right christians were in rome saying hey we believe in chastity and self-sacrifice and only having sex with your, your spouse forever and the romans saw that as being attacked because oh you're not just attacking me you're attacking Virtue and love and, and this, these bigger concepts of, of dominance and identity with your Christian values, right? Do you see, do you see how the, the Christian ethic was revolutionary and seen as an attack on Roman identity? And it's the same thing today. The Christian ethic is an attack, they say, on the LGBTQ identity of personhood. Christians were seen as dangerous to the moral order of ancient Rome and they're seen as dangerous today, which is why to go back to the senator from Wyoming's formulation, who's like, oh, well, there's secular marriage and there's biblical marriage. But no, the secular will only get more and more powerful and crush the biblical view of marriage. It's like, oh, well, you just do your little biblical marriage in your churches. No, 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 no. It won't even be allowed there because the Christian worldview is seen as dangerous. It can't even be allowed. The Christian sexual ethic is one man, one woman, no sex before marriage, and then enjoying sex within marriage. Read Song of Solomon for detail on that. The world's ethic is constant sex with as many people as possible, as young as possible. Don't get married. And then if you do get married, you can still have sex with whoever you want. These are very different ethics. But that's really nothing new. The fall of man was chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3. Uh, And from that point on, you have adultery, incest, rape, prostitution, homosexuality. It's just madness. And then by chapter 19, you have Sodom and Gomorrah. So it all happens pretty quick. So in Sodom, we all heard of the story. Maybe you've never heard the story. In Sodom, two angels came to town, and they came down as human form. And they went to go see Lot. And Lot welcomed them to his home. And uh, here's verse 4. Before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, both young and old all the people from every quarter. So this whole place is caught up in sodomy. It's a mass rape going on at, at Lot's house. This is verse five. Where? And they said, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may have relations with them. Wow. So Lot begged them to go away. They refused. And then they said, uh, Lot, we're going to treat you worse than we're going to treat these two men after we're done with them. So then the angels blinded the ravenous men, at which point you would think they would run away scared, but they didn't. In response, uh, it says, "So they, the Bible says, so they wearied themselves trying to find the doorway. They kept trying to get in. They kept trying to break into Lot's house. You'd think that if you were just blinded, you'd, you'd give it a rest for a minute. Then the two men, the angels said to Lot, whom else have you here? A son-in-law and your sons and your daughters and whoever you, whoever you have in the city, bring them out of this place for we're about to destroy this place because their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Verse 24, Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. He overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. So I love this. This is from National Geographic just a couple years ago. Uh, This is a real quote from National Geographic. God's destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah using brimstone and fire is the Bible's greatest disaster story. But could it have been inspired by real events? And it's all about these archaeologists who just a couple years ago, they found like like remnants of melted materials that suggested there was once a city here. And uh, let me call it an extremely hot, explosive event leveled an area of almost 200 square miles. And their conclusion is these are secular archaeologists. And they presented this whole thing at some archaeology convention or whatever. And their conclusion is that this event, like a meteorite, is what inspired this made up Sodom and Gomorrah story. That's what they say. So the, Their argument is that people were around and they saw uh, meteors come down and just light up and just destroy this area. And people then made up a story around. That's, as a, it like never crossed their mind that that is the story, right? They say, oh, well maybe this is what inspired the story. No, no, that's it. That is the fire and brimstone. That rained down on an actual, the actual Sodom of McGuire that never crossed their mind. <laughs> oh, we got a ton here. Oh, I never did the Balenciaga thing or Balenciaga. Okay, here's the short of Balenciaga. Balenciaga is a fashion, high fashion brand. They sell to like Norsham. it's like $4,000 dresses. I don't even know who, but they did an advertising campaign where they had little girls, I don't know, two to four or so, looking. Abused, holding a teddy bear, which was actually a purse they're selling, in bondage gear, fishnet and bondage gear, leather bondage spikes, something with a black eye, on a couch. One girl was on a bed. One girl was laying down, face down on this couch, looking at the camera. Um, just, just oh, oh, it's horrific. Bunch of stuff on the couch, uh, including a wine glass. All right. But then there were all these Easter eggs, like like hidden things in the background. One was a Supreme Court case that dealt with pedophilia. Uh, another is a coffee table book of this painter, uh, Michael Borsman, who painted these horrific satanic scenes of naked two to four-year-old children eating human limbs, so engaging in cannibalism and the ritual sacrifice. And there's paintings where... There, there's adults dressed up in black and performing sex acts or children performing sex acts on them. This is the coffee table book that's in the background of, of this, right? So these are cultural elites in high fashion, better than you. A, these people are better than you. Pushing, normalizing this uh, pedophilia on our culture. And that's nothing new. And they will be successful over time just a couple years ago congress passed the defense of marriage act now we're on the respective marriage act and it's the exact opposite thing it's just a few years ago all right slater i'm officially uh anxiety ridden what do i do all right what's in my control <sighs> a couple of things first you got to protect your kids from the lies of the world that are out there you got to keep them as far as away as possible from sexual anything for as long as possible. There's no reason for kids to be hearing about sex, especially sexual perversions, at such a young age. There's an age appropriateness for everything, but do not trust the activist to do this for you. Protect them, protect your kids from these people, and get in front of these people. Do not be scared to talk to your kids about sex in an age-appropriate way. And it's earlier than you think. Because your kids, if they're on the internet or whatever, they've seen this stuff. And you have to be the person to have these conversations. If it's not you, then it's going to be the older kids on the back of the school bus. Or it's going to be whatever your kids can find on the internet. And there's hardcore pornography everywhere, including on Twitter for free. Or it'll be some drag queen from Planned Parenthood in your kid's second grade classroom. That's who's going to tell your kids about sex. Do you trust them? You must protect your kids. When it comes to how to stop the the, normal... Normalization, I guess, of gay marriage, that ship has sailed. <laughs> All you can do is model the biblical marriage and a nuclear family in your home. Remember that a biblical marriage has a third person involved, right? Again, this idea that we're just a nation of individuals and two individuals can engage in a contract. And when the contract is over because they're not in love anymore, they can just leave, whatever. No, no, biblical marriage has a third person involved. It's clearly laid out in Ephesians 5. Most important, I should say, most people start at verse uh, 22. But verse 21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then it explains how husbands and wives are to submit to each other specifically. And then it ends with, for this reason, a man will leave his father and a mother and will be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. That's what this is. It's not about two people being happy ever after. It's about two people glorifying God together. 1 Corinthians 10 31 so whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do do all to the glory of God includes marriage when it comes to pedophilia give no quarter no mercy fullest extent of the law fullest extent of social shaming yes there's repentance allowed always but you better prove it and serving a year in prison is not repentance so we must reject every effort to normalize pedophilia as merely sexual attraction. But they're gonna try to do the same playbook they did with gay marriage, with pedophilia. Do not give them an inch, learn your lesson. And finally, don't fall for this trap that these issues don't affect you, right? You heard this, gay marriage doesn't affect your marriage, right, you heard that. We were told 20 years ago that that was the case. But look how they're never satisfied. Look how, gay everything's exploded in every aspect of our culture everywhere did you ever think that a disney pixar movie uh, would would have a it's called strange world would have a gay love story not like the buzz lightyear movie where there's like a quick kiss but like the whole theme it's themed around this gay love story. did you ever think that would happen disney (sighs) oh but gay marriage won't affect you (laughs) like look at it everywhere it's everywhere you must take a stance you must have a conviction about this have a conviction we live in a culture today where you're not allowed to have a conviction they are you're not slater how do i get the courage to have conviction on this and to to speak out about this issue maybe the issue that the progressives have been able to silence conservatives and christians on the most well this is my final thought to leave on there's nothing more countercultural than this, than marriage. And it's seemingly tough to talk about because the other side has weaponized compassion. Right? It's agree with us, agree with us, do the nice thing or else you're a bigot and it's hate speech and you're being against gay marriage is the same as murder, it's violence, Right? It's, oh, jeez. So it's tough to speak up. Jordan Peterson says that people would always compliment him for being courageous for speaking out in our current climate on this. And he says, no, it's actually not courageous. I'm not being courageous because I'm more afraid of what will happen if I don't speak out. So don't be afraid of what will happen. If you do speak out, be afraid of what will happen. If you don't be afraid of what will happen to our culture and your family, your children's lives. If you don't speak out for the truth and if you're more afraid of that rightfully then it won't be courageous to speak out today. You must, and you must fear God more than you fear man. That's the key to it all. Luke twelve five. I tell, this is Jesus. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more that they can do. But I'll warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. He's talking about him. So you wanna you wanna have the confidence to speak the truth? Think about eternity more than the present. Fear God more than man. Alright, that's our episode. Is that something? Did that work? <sighs> man, there's a lot there. I feel like I should do it again. Should I re-record? There's just too much to do. There's too much to cover. I hope it was clear and some sort of concise. I'm sure we'll talk about it again another day. Hey, thanks to everyone for, for leaving reviews. Uh, this person says, learning a lot listening to the podcast. Someone says, thanks for all you do. Very calming and intelligent voice, very kind. The perfect blend of politics and faith. Love this podcast, thank you. Uh, started listening, I've already changed my grumbling and boasting attitude to one of a happy warrior. Boasting that I know God. Thank you. It's awesome. Uh it's great to tell you, thanks for the reviews. You're you're wonderful. And let's keep uh, this party going. Politics by faith. Mike Slater.
2: With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.